Lord, we just come before you this morning, and Father, we, are, we need you every moment of our lives. Father, you are there. You, we cry out to a good God that loves us, has lavished his love upon us. And so, Father, we, may there be more desperation in us for you and for the things of God. And may we hold closely to you and not so closely to this world, Father. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father, for a new uh, work in us, Lord, as we open your scriptures, that you make it alive and active in our hearts, that we walk away and, and actually live it out. Now, we don't just claim it, but we live it out. And I pray that would be true because you're changing us and transforming our hearts and that we're dependent upon your Holy Spirit. And Father, that you're at work in us because we're being obedient to you. So Father, I pray that we would turn all those areas over to you, the ones that we hold back, that we keep in secret, Lord, that they are there and we turn them over to you so that we can see your grace and your mercy and your healing in those areas. Father, for those that are broken today, Lord, would you restore them? Would you give them hope and joy in Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May you be seated. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in Judges chapter 14. Going to make it through 16 today, so you're going to have to hold on. We're going to make it through a lot of Scripture today. A lot of times we have a little bit of Scripture and a lot of uh, preaching. Today we're going to have a lot of Scripture. I just want you to know. We're looking at the second part of Samson. We started Samson, how he grew up, uh, how he was born, his miraculous birth last week. But today we're going to be looking at his life and his death. I want you to know, Samson, I think, was one of those guys that would look in the mirror, and every time he looked in the mirror, he saw his greatest enemy, okay? Anyone else ever feel like that when you look in the mirror? You're like, ah, you know, do you ever see, you know, you see problems? Because he had, he had the physical strength to absolutely deal with whatever problems Israel had, but he had this sabotage inside of him, kind of a virus that turns his strength into destruction, and we'll see that destruction play out. And I don't know if you've ever felt like, man, I messed that up. Boy, I blew it. You know, why did I answer that phone call? Or why did I, you know, get back with that friend? Why did I go, why didn't I stay home that night? All those different things we can kind of replay in our lives. Well, every morning, I think we wake up and we look in our mirror, we see that's the greatest enemy. And so Samson's story tells Israel's story. And if you listen, you're probably going to hear your story in this story as well. So the first week we looked at Samson's birth. Today we're going to look at his life and his death. Judges chapter 14, the Samson's the story, his adult life, begins with this story about he sees a hot Philistine woman and he wants to see her and date her. And this is what he says in chapter 14, verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So his parents are saying, we want you to marry someone of the same faith. That's what their desire is, like many of our desires for our kids as well. But Samson said to his father, get her for me before she pleases me very well, okay? I want her. That's what he's saying. And I'm just telling you, if, if, if I had to boil Samson's weaknesses down into one statement, that would be the primary driver. He wanted whatever pleased him. That's just kind of how he lived his life, and maybe sometimes how we live our lives. I want that. Nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to get what I want, right? And so verse 4 is going to tell us, you know what, a little bit more of the bigger picture of what God is doing. Verse 4, this is what it says. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. 
So what does that mean? Does that mean that God is behind this decision? Well, I want you to know it doesn't mean that this Samson's decision was necessarily righteous or wise, but it means that God was going to use this decision. He will use it, okay? And that's what we're going to see. Just to step back just for a moment, kind of see the bigger picture of what's going on in Israel. Israel at this point has gotten really, really comfortable in their captivity, okay? Throughout the, script, the last number of weeks in Judges, you've seen the people of Israel cry out to God. They're no longer crying out to God. Why? Because they've become so ingrained in the culture, in the society. And friends, that's the greatest test they've ever faced. They're going to be eliminated not by some military might. They're going to be eliminated by assimilating into the culture that they no longer want the Lord their God. And so you see, that was the greatest threat to all of the people of God. That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to pull God's people away by assimilating us into the culture. Because if he does that, then we can easily pull us away from our faith in God. So God doesn't want that. So this is what he's going to do. When you get so comfortable in the world, sometimes he stirs things up. And that's what he's doing here. He's stirring things up. This is where Israel is at. God didn't just save his people so that they could just be saved. No, he wants them to fall into a relationship with him. He wants them to be consumed by his love and know him. But they've gotten too comfortable in captivity. They're just saying, you know what, we're good here. We're not crying out for God. And God says, you know what, I'm going to take this, you know, this kind of this beefcake kind of guy, this meathead, and he's going to be kind of hot-blooded. He says, I'm going to stir some things up using him. So I want you to know, do you, sometimes you see that in your life where you maybe you get just a little bit too close to the world. Your heart just gets a little bit too knit to the world and you get enticed by the things the world offers. Popularity. We get enticed by certain comforts. We get enticed by money. And, and God says, you know what? I got to stir up more of a desire here. And, and so that's what God does. You know, a lot of times people wonder, you know, how can you, you know, like what's going on in Washington right now? And friends, I don't have to like it at all. But thank goodness we have freedom, right? We have freedom to worship a good God. And we have freedom in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know all of that's going on there. My hope, my main help will never come from Washington. My main help will always come from the Lord. And we need to remember that, friend. So that's where their people of Israel are at. They've just become so comfortable. So this next episode of Samson's story is the lion and the honey incident we talked about last week. I'm going to kind of summarize it real quickly. Um, Samson says I'm, he got engaged. He's going to throw this week-long party, okay? And he's to celebrate his engagement. And he, right before he goes to this party, he gets attacked by a lion. Okay, and that's where we have this great line in verse 6. It says, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. If you remember, he gives this analogy, and you're like, how often do they tear up young goats, right? And you're like, well, I think that's what they did for game night, okay? I know we play Scrabble and things like that. I think they brought a young goat and tore it up. I'm not sure that's what it seemed like became so familiar. Well, a few days after this passes by, he passes the same spot where this carcass is, and he sees in the carcass a, a beehive, and he notices in the abdomen, that's where he comes up this idea of a riddle. 
He's like, I'm going to make this a game a little bit. So he, he pulls some men aside and says, you guys want a riddle? You guys can figure this riddle out in the next seven days. I'm going to give all of you a new so, suit of uh, clothing. You can have a brand new suit of clothing. But if you don't figure it out in seven days, guess what? You're going to give me a suit of clothing. So guess what? They can't figure it out. They try and they try and they try. They can't figure it out. So they go to his wife-to-be. And they say, hey, could you sweet talk it out of him? Go ask him kind of what's going on. And if you don't, by the way, we're going to kill you. Okay. And so she does, she kind of goes to him and she uh, literally um, asks him, Hey, will you help me figure out this riddle? He says, no, I'm not going to tell you that. Well, then she pulls out, I think literally the oldest trick in the book and she cries. Okay. Any of you good at pulling out tears on command? It's like, she just goes to crying for a week long at this, you know, celebration event in this bachelor party. She's crying the whole time. Well, eventually she, he gives in, tells her the answer to the riddle. She goes and tells the people and he is not happy, right? He finally caves and he um, gives it to her and he comes up with this very romantic saying, just a, he was a guy with way of words. He says, if you had not in verse 18 plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Okay. So there he's just got this way with words, but verse 19 and 20 is where we'll continue on. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. So why would God fill Samson with his spirit to do something vengeful, vindictive here? Because there's a bigger purpose. This division is going to call the people of Israel back to hungering for the things of God. Chapter 15, if you got it, go ahead and flip over. This is what it says, verse 1. And some days, after some days, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Again, a young goat. Must have been date night, right? Let's go rip up a young goat. So uh, he brought a young goat with him. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber. In verse 2, and his fa her father said, I really thought that you were utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion, your best man. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? And you're like, he's like, wait a second, what? Younger sister? That was my wife. What, what's going on here? Who cares about the younger sister? Verse 3, and Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do harm to them. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Anybody else want to see that happen? <laughs> like, man, I want to see him capture 300 foxes. Okay, and he turned, the, turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines. And he set fire to the standing grain into the olive orchards. Okay, if anyone's good at uh, practical jokes, you know, this would be pretty cool. Okay, they tied up the tails of foxes that want to run in different directions and they lit it on fire and they just sent him out into this field and said, you know, go tell him Samson was here, you know. So he just burns it into him. The Philistines get upset, surprise, not very surprising, and they retaliate by killing her and her father. Verse 6, okay, let's continue on. And Samson said, I swear, I will be avenged on you, and after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Okay, I'm just telling you, hip and thigh, I struck them hip and thigh, it means they just, he tore them up, okay? He just laid them out. He beat them up significantly, okay? So hip and thigh tore them out. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. 
Well, the Philistines came to Edom and they say to the Israelites there, verse, go to verse 10. It says, we've come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down. 3,000 did this one guy. Remember that? 3,000 went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is that you've done to, uh, done to us? Verse 12, and Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, no, 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 we won't. We'll only bind you and give you into their hands. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes were on his arms became as flack that has been caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Oh, there's a jawbone. And he picked it up and he struck 1,000 men. What he did is he went all hip and thigh on them, tore them up, right? And uh, pretty cool. He's not supposed to touch anything, remember, uh, that, anyone that's dead because of the Nazarite vow. Verse 16, let's continue on. And Samson sang, with the jawbone of a donkey, heap upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hands. Just to kind of give you an idea of what happens, uh, I want you to know what happened is he um, kind of went all rapper, okay? I know it doesn't rhyme here, but if you got into the Hebrew, it actually rhymes, the Hebrew. And then like a mic drop, he drops the jawbone, okay? So that's what he does. He kind of goes all off of the jawbone and then he drops it. 16, let's go to chapter 16 as we make our way through this. Verse 1, Samson went to Gaza and there was a prostitute and he went into her. Okay, first of all, remember at the beginning he went to a Philistine woman, okay? And then he, his parents are like, are you sure? Can't you find someone else? Went to a Philistine. Now he's going to a, a prostitute and it's also in Gaza, which is the capital of the Philistines. So I want you to see that his sin is getting him more and more bold. He's just like, whatever, they, they're not going to catch me. There's no way. Well, verse 2 of 16, and this is what the Philistines find out he's there. And they surround the place and they set an ambush for him all night at the gate city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. Verse three, but Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and he pulled them up bar and all and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is from Hebron. Why is that there? What do we need to get from that? Nothing. It's just a really cool story. Okay, when somebody pulls up the city gate with the posts and everything, throws them on his shoulders and walks it up to the top of the hill, you put it in scripture because it's just amazing. So um, verse four, let's continue on. After this, he loved a woman whose name was Delilah, okay? Delilah's name means night, the night, okay? And so this is a reoccurring theme throughout. Uh, the night was used all throughout that chapter of scripture. And now he's literally lying in the night's bed and this is the end. Verse five, this is what happens. And the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him. See where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him and we'll give each of you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. Verse 6, 
Please tell me where his great strength lies uh, and how you might be bound. So this is now, Delilah goes to Samson and says this, uh, would you please just tell me where your strength lies and uh, how I might maybe bind you up and maybe subdue you? How would that happen? Verse 7, Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I shall become weak like any other man. So he lets her bind him with these bowstrings. In verse 9, she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber and said to them, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he snapped the bowstrings and a, like a thread of uh, flack snaps when it touches fire. So basically, he, it would have been like he's bound up with toilet paper. Boom. Just breaks it all. Okay? No big deal. Verse 10, then Delilah came and said to Samson, behold, you mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how to bind you up. So he says, okay, it was actually instead of, you know, bowstrings, it was ropes is what he says. And then she comes to him in verse 12, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. The same deal happens. Verse 13, he said to her, if you weave seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, so he's been telling just a real tail at first with the bow, and then the rope's real tail. But now he says, if you just tie up my hair. Do you guys see that he's getting closer to the real story? He's now telling about his hair. And so, well, again, she goes to him, and she weaves his hair into a loom, and then wakes him up and says, you know what, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up, and he says, where are they? I'll tear them up. So it didn't happen again. Verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say, I love you? When your heart is not with me, you've mocked me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Okay? I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, guys, do you ever just give in? You're like, I'm tired. I just want a moment of peace. You're right. We want it so badly that we just give in. Well, he shouldn't have. Okay? Verse 17, and he told her with all his heart and said to her, a razor's never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse 18, and when Delilah saw that he had told her with all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, hey, come back again. For he's told me with all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came back and they brought the money in their hands and she made him sleep on her knees. Okay? Do you see how overconfident he's become at this point? He's not, he told her the true secret and then he thinks, my strength will never leave me. He actually falls asleep right on her lap. No worries that my strength will ever leave me, right? But God's about to wake him up. And she called a man and had him shave off his seven locks of his head. Verse 20, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Like Israel didn't know that they needed to be woken up and delivered as well. Verse 21, and the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Very painful. He's completely blind now. And they brought him to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in the prison. 
Okay, so it all, this kind of gives us a picture of what sin looks like. Sin starts out fun, right? And it started out like we heard of parties and, you know, all these jokes, riddles, things like that, but it doesn't end that way. And so that's what sin does. It, it, first, it kind of binds us to something not of God, and then it blinds us. Of course, we get blinded that we actually need any help, and then it starts to grind us in the pain of our sin is what happens. So verse 22, very key verse. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. We're going to come back to that verse at the end, but very good verse. Verse 23, we'll finish this up. Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So they had this big party and they bring out Samson. Verse 24, and when the people saw him, they praised their God. And that when their hearts were merry, uh, when their hearts were merry, they said, "Call Samson and have him entertain us." So they call Samson out and say, "Entertain us." And they made him stand between the pillars. Verse twenty-six. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, "Hey, let me fill the pillars that the house rests upon, that I may lean against them." And Samson called out to God, our Lord, our God, and says, "I know I've sinned, and I'm here because of my sin." He says, let me avenge the Philistines one more time. In verse 29, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right on one and his left hand on the other. And then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it, including Samson. So the dead whom he killed at his death, uh, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed in his life. Wow, we made it through. That was a lot of chapters. I want you, what can we learn from Samson's life? The first thing I want you to see, because remember, Samson represents all the people of God. The first thing I want you to see is we are our own worst enemy. If you want to take notes, I want to share with you some of the different components real quickly that Samson was giving into that showed his weakness in the Lord. There's five of them. The first one is Samson was very impulsive, okay? And he was, you know, driven by his lust. He was driven by his stomach. I want the honey. He was driven by his anger and his rage. He was just very impulsive. And I, I want to tell you, friend, that's the one thing, if you're very impulsive, that will wreck your life. You guys probably know these statistics, but there's a statistic I read that um, texting and driving, okay, we, we know it's bad and everyone knows it's bad, but you are, if you text and drive, you are 23 times more likely to get in an accident than if you weren't texting and driving, okay? And so, uh, but yet why, it's, it's even more dangerous than a lot of impairments. But the why do we do it? Because we want instant gratification, right? We want to know exactly who we can connect with and reply back, feel engaged in the conversation. And so we throw out the safety of our family. We throw out the safety of those on the road. We do that. And the main point is I'm not trying to make is, you know, don't text and drive. You shouldn't do that. But it's the fact that we have to learn to deny ourselves and obey God's will. That's, if we don't deny ourselves at times, it's going to wreck our lives, that's what sin will pull us into. Uh, real quickly, there was a study done in the 70s. I've shared this before. They, put, they followed these kids, these group of kids at Stanford. They put um, one marshmallow in front of them, and they said, if you can hold, wait for 10 minutes, there's going to be a greater uh, treat for you. 
And all of like 60, 70% of the kids just grabbed it right away and ate it, right? But then they followed all these kids, the ones that were very impulsive and the ones that waited and they got more marshmallows at the end. The, the ones that have waited have gotten incredible, you know, their lives have been filled with success all along the way because they didn't give in to instant gratification. We have to be able to control ourselves. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city attacking a city with broken down walls. We can go take over them. We can, they don't even have walls up. Let's just run in there and take it over. That's what it's like. We have to have control. So the question for you as you go home today, maybe, you know, am I more driven by God's will or am I more driven by my own desires? And that's where it gets dangerous, you know? Am I trying to please myself or please God? You know, am I spirit-led or am I desire-led? You need to ask that of your questions when you come upon a major decision in your life. The second thing he was, he was also very compromising, okay? Samson treated God kind of very casually. You know what? He probably, we probably do this at times too, don't we? It's just cutting my hair. It's no big deal. Let me, I've cut it a few other times, right? But what you do when you compromise, when you compromise in your career, in your families, in your finances, you're removing God's blessing from them. So absolutely, friend, Samson shows us that do not take the blessings and the presence of God for granted. It, it can leave you. And that's what we see here with Samson. The third part of his kind of his struggle, his downfall, was he was very unteachable, okay? Nobody could persuade him. He just didn't listen to anyone. So and the fourth one kind of goes with this as well. He was a loner. And what I mean by that is if you notice in the story, no one else is a part of Samson's life. He's a one-man show. He was a one-man wrecking ball. And, and I, the question I have for you today is, are there people that are close enough to you to know you, to call maybe some areas out? Are you open to criticism and critique that you're willing to grow? Or do you have certain secret areas that you're like, no, no, those are off limits. Let me tell you, the areas that are off limits, those are the places that the enemy would love to get in and destroy and walk through and, and use in your life. Proverbs 18.1 says this, an isolated man always begins to serve himself an isolated man. So we need to be in community. Okay, friend? We are called to be in Christian community. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian. Okay? God's plan A was the church. And I know that churches are not perfect, but I'm telling you, a weak church is even better than a, a faraway podcast because being around the people of God, that's what will change you. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you're not involved in, maybe getting a Sunday school. We have some wonderful Sunday school classes. Maybe come an hour early and just hang out, jump in one of them, grow with them, feed, encourage one another. There's also small groups. We'd love for you to join our small group. Danny and Kathy have been leading one on Wednesday nights, and we come and we talk about the message, but we also get in each other's lives, pray for each other. We're called to be around each other in the body of Christ. And the fifth thing that he did was he was also very proud. Samson was very proud. Three ways we know that. One, he, was, he assumed he'd never lose his strength, right? He's like, I'll tell you the secret. I'm never going to lose this strength. He was so proud. Two, he never gave God glory. If you go back, remember, he never really gave God glory along the way. And third, he felt very entitled that his blessings were to be used for his purposes. 
And I don't know if you know about this, but a lot of us, maybe you have a really good season, and we think, you know what, all these blessings, my health, my money, what I got right now, we think, oh, that will never be taken away from me. James chapter 4 actually talks about boasting is evil, okay? It's not of the Lord. We shouldn't be boasting. Every breath we take is a gift from God. And do you know those spiritual gifts that you've been given? Some really cool gifts God gives you. He gives them to you on loan for his purposes, not for your own selfish purposes, but for your purposes. So those are the five areas. There's two more points real quickly I want to give you. One, I want you to see the world needed someone greater than Samson. And I've tried to point this out every week. All the judges look wonderful, but they all fail at some level. And Samson's story starts out so good, doesn't it? I mean, he's got this grand, miraculous birth, and he's got kind of, you know, so we have high expectations for how this is going to finish, right? But could you imagine being the Israelites? Do any of you, when you get to uh, the end of a book, the last chapter, you're like, I wonder how it's all going to turn out. I cannot wait to see how this turns out. Or maybe the, the season finale of a favorite show, and you got all this excitement, and you want to invite everybody over because you want to see how it all ends. Well, could you imagine being the Israelites, and they read this, and they're like, uh, that's how it ends? There's got to be more to this story. And there is, praise the Lord, 1,100 years later, Jesus of Nazareth shows up. And he has strength, absolutely like Samson, strength to overcome demons and uh, disease and even death. And Samson was betrayed, just like Jesus was betrayed, you know, and he was handed over to a, you know, Gentile oppressors. Samson was chained and tortured and Absolutely, you know, the, so was Jesus. We know that. But all of that was, Jesus wasn't put on the cross because of his sin. He was put on the cross because of our sin, right? And so we've got to see that. And so there is good news. Here's the good news. You and I, friend, we're all like Samson. We all have been driven by our lusts and our compromise, but he was wounded, Jesus, for us for our transgressions, for our sins. And so I want you to know all you have to do is freely accept that gift of Jesus Christ and the grace, and he will give you the power to overcome those impulses and those insecurities that made you weak in the first place. The third thing I want to end with today is that it's never too late to cry out to God. Praise the Lord, it's never too late. When Samson cries out to God, let me tell you, he was at the lowest anyone could ever be, okay? He is in the midst of Dagon's temple where he's being paraded as an entertainment piece. He's blinded and he's bound up because of his sin. That's why that verse 22 is so important. It says the hair of his head had begun to grow again. I know some people might be losing a little hair up there, and you've always claimed that. I'm telling you, this is good news for all of us. I love that verse. God's mercies, like that hair beginning to grow again, is new every morning. So may we trust in a good God. And there's two ways we could, you know, kind of deal with failures, because we're all going to fail. Maybe you deal with it, but you just feel bad about it. And you're like, ah, I have remorse. Why did I do that? I have regret. That's, if you just leave it there, that's a good place to start. But if you just leave it there, you're going to beat yourself up with bitterness and frustration and grace, uh, anger towards yourself. You've got to turn that remorse into repentance. Repentance is where you look to God. 
and say, God, will you repair this? You know, there's hope in repentance. And I pray that that's where we would begin. Repentance isn't just where you own your own responsibilities of sinful heart. You also accept God's grace. So I know that sin makes a mess. And maybe some of you, that's where your life is at. It has made a mess of your life. And here's the, the thing. You can't unsin, repent. Okay, so you can't change the past, but you can change when you repent. It changes where your future is and what we have in the future. So may we all run to the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Friend, thank you. Uh, Lord, we just come before you this morning and um, we're thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for your mercy. And Father, in, in the darkest moment when that hair began to grow, may there have just been an example of what grace looks like in our lives. Father, that there is a new season as we turn over to you and, and we run to you, Lord, that your, your grace and your repentance and there, you change us and transform us. Father, we pray that we would surrender to you all those areas, even the areas that we tend to hold back and we may be struggling in, Lord, because it's by your son, Jesus, that we can be freed from the bondage of those chains. So we thank you for this example of Samson, but more importantly, we thank you for a savior in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.